it has always been something of a puzzle for me why I was not the most celebrated person on the planet. This is relevant to the findings given at the end of the presentation. But to put things in perspective, I make three outrageous claims. These claims are designed to make it easy for you to prove me wrong. If you cannot, then what I say about living in the flesh has been validated by your failure. Three claims are made. They relate to every aspect of the most comprehensive and detailed scientific theory of everything, often shortened to toe, ever created. The three claims I make are. 1. The a priorian toe, is 100% consistent with the Bible. 2. The a priorian toe, is 100% empirically testable. 3. The a priorian toe, is 100% logical and analytically coherent. This means a challenger has only to prove there is a biblical teaching not contained in a priorianism, or that my interpretation is biblically unsound, or that there is some aspect of a priorianism that is not quantifiable or verifiable by means of the scientific method, or there is some element of a priorianism which cannot be deduced from a single axiom. In this case the proposition we start with is that God exists. However the entire theory can be deduced from any part of it. Therefore, the theory itself constitutes a comprehensive and analytically sound, scientific proof of God. This ought to make the invalidation of my ideas simple enough for anyone. However, there are a few persons who think if they claim they have disproven my claims or that my ideas do not cohere to the teachings of the Bible, I must prove them wrong. I believe your unsubstantiated claims of course, but in the interests of science the disputant must state the specific point they contest. They may use their own words or a quote with their arguments as to why I fail to reach one or all of my three guarantees. I apologize for this inconvenience, but I am sure you understand this is out of my hands, other people are not as trusting as I am. A priorianism is a theory. That solves all known social problems, that is, issues relating to the humanities such as unemployment, poverty, inflation, pollution, waste, taxation, homelessness, and the cost of the state generally. Explains scientific discoveries biblically and gives empiricists a biblically consistent way to interpret scientific findings. Introduces a new economic and political model and a new business model based on a new model of ownership and a genuine free market freed of government regulation. Establishes Christianity and conservatism on a new foundation based on faith. A biblically sound model of the church. A lot of liberals think they can be Christian by believing in God and that there was a man named Jesus, who was a good man and who also believed in God. There are other versions of Christianity which are less liberal, but the point that is being made here, is that the definition of a Christian is subjective, at least according to liberals. Unlike religions there is no real physical or empirical standard one has to satisfy, before one can wear a crucifix or attend church. Conservatism as an idea, is more protected than Christianity. It is more difficult for a liberal to be a conservative than it is for them pose as a Christian. There are many things a person cannot do if he wishes to be understood as a conservative. There is almost nothing a person can do that would prevent him or her from identifying as a Christian. In short, conservatives are more willing to call out a rhino or socialist who tries to infiltrate the political right than we Christians are willing to denounce a liberal posing as a Christian. This is odd since a conservative is viewed by many as little more than a liberal neophyte, that is a person who is what a liberal was some time ago. The older liberal becomes a conservative because he has not fully embraced the progressive opinions of the more youthful liberals. 
we have seen what is considered conservative change over the years. We have seen conservative willing to permit, if not embrace, many things no conservative would have tolerated decades back. Yet, even while Christianity has in many ways been more accommodating to the changes in society, the essence of Christianity has not changed. We are still the people of faith and liberals are the people of the flesh. But if we were asked to empirically prove our claim to be a person of faith, I doubt anyone would know where to begin. It is much easier for those of the flesh to prove they are materialists. Liberals believe reality is physical and the metaphysical has no provable existence. Which means, if we cannot prove faith is not all in the mind, we essentially agree, by default, with atheists about who we are. If the people of the flesh have only their word to others who they are, then the metaphysical is wholly subjective. The people of the flesh set the standard in rejecting any possibility that the metaphysical exists. If it cannot be seen, felt, smelled, heard or tasted it does not exist as part of physical reality. This position is referred to as phenomenology. It argues that everything that exists was derived from a pre-existing thing. This logically leaves a phenomenologist with only two possibilities, everything has always existed, continually transforming from one thing into something else or existence is a one-off event. No one argues that change is not constant in this universe, but it is constant only because it started from a high state of order, a singularity. However, this order is in an explosive decay. It is not beyond logic to imagine a high state of order that decays over time. If one can imagine this order beginning the process it is not difficult to assume it would continue until the entire system becomes homogeneous. Regardless of how long this process would take, it still occurs a finite amount of time. It has a beginning and an end. The constant state universe and its variations need some way for the universe to recharge itself or renew itself or have an infinite number of downstream states. These ideas verge on metaphysics because there is no physical explanation for them. If time and space came into existence at the instant of the Big Bang, then something greater than space and time had to have existed prior to space and time that is independent of space and time. But the whole point of phenomenology is that all of reality is contained in the space-slash-time paradigm. If materialism cannot explain itself by its own casualist elements, it resorts to metaphysical thinking. The error so many make is trying to find faith in the world of the flesh. If these are two distinct realities there is no possibility faith will be discovered as a type of matter or as a feature of the flesh. The entire worldview of the phenomenologist has to be discarded to understand the world of the spirit. Naturally we have to begin with God and a creative act by God to get to faith. But we cannot confuse the two realities, and these two peoples, if we're to understand either or both. The material reality was not made by God. What God made was good and perfect. He spoke the world into existence as a perfect conception. This is not physical reality as crazy as this might sound. The physical world is a corrupt illusion of what actually exists. The world is not an idea of man, it is an idea of God transmitted to man, conceptually. God communicated the truth to man. This transmission is the truth in our hearts. We recognize truth because it corresponds to the inherent truth we are heir to. The truth is not physical. How can reality be physical if truth is not physical? Physical matter cannot generate truth. God is a God of truth, 
not a god of material things. Reality is a concept communicated to humans using encoded symbols that can be decoded by human beings. We only know concepts because they are apperceived directly. The mind is us but us as a third person and a kind of observer. When we talk about our mind we talk about us in the third person. The brain is our way of categorizing and systemizing our perceptions in a way that translates into what we call physical reality, created as we communicate with and interact with others. To live in the flesh is the live immersed in the phenomenology of the brain. Those who live in the flesh literally cannot escape the limits of the brain. The more in the flesh we are the more animalistic we become. At some point we lose our humanity. A genius is less entrapped by the brain's limited computational capacities than a fool who has become a meat computer. The mind can be freed of the body illusion and is freed in death. But since the people of the flesh are immersed in what they see as physical reality the way of the spirit might be restated as the way of the perfected mind. The flesh may think that other people pose a threat to them and to allay this threat they create governments and agree to a social contract. This is not the path taken by people of faith. In faith people do not pose a risk. But we have to have faith, for without faith we live in fear and if we are fearful we need an agency that will, for our pledge of allegiance, protect us from the threats of those who live in the flesh. The flesh represents risk. Easy to say, live in the spirit, hard to do when those around us live in the flesh. To understand how to live in faith we have to understand the nature of risk and how to mitigate it without giving in to fear. Flesh is rooted in evil. All sin and evil consists of illegitimate claims on what you have no right to. This was established in Eden. It is the pivotal point of all evil that followed after the incident in Eden. We have no right to anything physical because everything physical was created by God. What humans are permitted to own is what they create, which is the value added to the things of God. If we challenge God to his throne and his absoluteness, we have become a force of nature, and a thing for humans to fear, we represent a risk to them. If we are free to claim a rock as our own, why not a mountain, why not a range of mountains, Weigh not all the land, rivers, and lakes adjacent to these mountains as well. If we can lay claim to a territory, why not an entire nation and if we can own a nation why not all the way and lay claim to the entire world? The nation is marked out by an invisible line. If the line is invisible, why not move it outwards until it becomes an empire and eventually, a one-world government? The fact is once we have accepted the physical things of earth can be owned by anyone, it is just another small step to believe anyone can own anything, even other people. But as no one accepts that another person can own them or the world, we arrive at a Hobbesian, war of all against all. The only possible outcome once it is accepted human beings can own physical things, is the extermination of all opposition or capitalization to the opposition. But no matter how many victories one has, there are always new competitors waiting in the wings. And so, those who live in the flesh need governments to maintain the peace within the polity. But national and regional governments can only do this for subjects and only to the degree they are powerful enough to wage war on other nations and win. If we do not want wars to happen between nations, the people of flesh need international agencies. We need organizations that will try and broker peace between nations having issues. Ultimately what we discover is that the only thing that will reduce risk, is a one-world government that owns and controls everything. 
having analyzed what it means to live in the flesh we have a better understanding of what living in the spirit looks like, because living in the spirit is diametrically opposed and distinct from the life of the flesh. The fundamental difference between the flesh and spirit is that the flesh thinks reality is physically real. The flesh sees itself as a prisoner of the flesh. The spirit sees reality as absolute truth. Reality is created by God and owned by God because reality is the truth of God. Reality is not something physical but something true. It is a concept and a set of descriptors that are true. If we do not understand what reality is as a concept, then we are not in the truth. In reality God speaks the truth and what God speaks as truth we see as reality, because the truth of God is absolutely real. Space and time are concepts that make up the conceptualization that is reality. To understand reality, we have to understand it as a concept. It might help to think of God as an author and we as the characters and reality as the plot, our mission is the characters revealing the plot. So we cannot own reality, we cannot own any part of it. We do not own truth. Reality is in essence, an idea that God formed and transmitted to us. The ideas of God are absolute and true. Reality is God's truth, and this is why God's truth is seen as real by us. Truth, in its absolute form, is what we perceive as reality. God's truth is so true mankind sees it as physical reality. But these truths are in the mind and the mind is aware of the absolute truths of God. The first step of faith is to trust God and the second is to trust His truth. We have to trust His truth. We are constrained by logic. Humans cannot logically reject the truths of God. God is not constrained in logic or by logic or by any other thing. What He is is true because He is truth. God created a logical reality so that we could understand it. Logic is the correspondence between what God created and our understanding. Logic is the taking of the truth of God and transforming it into what the human mind can manipulate. Our logic is made in the image of God as it mimics what God is on our level. The logic of an idea and the logical cohesiveness of reality means reality was created in the way we were made to understand it. Risk is created when we diverge from the truth of God. The original sin is claiming what belongs to God. This false claim of what was not created is sin. God owns truth and the truth of reality, because He created it. We are free to use earth and to bring it to perfection but that does not make it ours, meaning we do not get to decide what adds value and what does not. This is why we are considered stewards, rather than owners. God decides what has value and what does not. This is why it is crucial for Christians to divest themselves of what belongs to God. Total obedience is the only way to reconcile ourselves to God and become perfectible. Even in our divestment of assets, the Christian must follow God. We must follow one master. What many do not realize that to have faith in God we need faith in the people of God. There is no faith in God without the manifestation of that faith in the formation of the church. Faith does not exist just in the positive sense. We cannot let the good we do benefit the realm of fallen men. Divestment must be done carefully and objectively. The devil cannot prosper from our efforts to follow God. To do good and not do evil is a positive and negative injunction that imposes strict conditions on what we can do. But the issue only arises when we are not in the church. 
it is the community of the faithful that permits us to do works of faith that bear fruit. Fruit being the racial identity of the people of faith. If we are living in faith we are forming a new race of man, we undergo a rebirth and create a new city of new persons living in the Spirit. This is living as the new creation under God. The church is not a building or people per se, it is a racial identity, it denotes racial purity. We put the care of assets into the hands of the church, the new race of man, as the representative of Christ on earth. This is why it is so important to get out of this idea of one humanity and a common good. There are two races and two peoples and two different ways of thinking about reality. The flesh do not share anything with us, literally and figuratively. The entire purpose of the church and the new race under God, is to keep us separate. To live in the flesh is to live in a meat machine. It is to know only what can be channeled through the five senses. It's very hard to become a genius or spiritual in the flesh because one becomes trapped in the flesh. The being becomes so deeply buried in the physical boundaries of the body all one knows or can know is what is filtered through the senses of the body.